Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, grace, and mercy, your presence in times like this. Father, you are the creator God of the universe. Uh, your glory is seen in the beauty of the mountains and, and the majesty of your creation. Father, in the birds of the air and the animals on the ground and the fish in the sea, all your creation testifies to your glory, your might, uh, your beauty. Father, we praise you for that. Uh, we know that you are the omnipotent God of the universe, that you have everything under your control. You are sovereign. And Father, we worship you and we thank you for that. Lord, we know even in this season of uncertainty uh, with a virus staring us in the face that you are in control. And so, Lord, we, we trust that your will will be done right here at First Baptist Church in Forsyth County, in Georgia, in the United States and in the world, just as it's being done in heaven. Father, guide us today as we walk through these uncharted waters. Uh, lead us in your path of righteousness. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for all the sin that separates us from you. Lord, help us trust in you. And Lord, keep us faithful to serve and love others and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. Please draw us closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. In his name we pray, amen. It's Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118 verse 24 is still true. In the middle of a quarantine, in the middle of separation, in the middle of the unknown, God made this day. In fact, he made every day for us to love God, love others, and make the gospel known. So I am rejoicing in the middle of uncertainty. I'm rejoicing in the middle of uncharted waters. I'm rejoicing in the middle of all the inconveniences that we're experiencing. Now, to be very transparent, like you, Many of you, I wake up and my first thought is, is this really happening? And I get bored with the restrictions like you do. I, I put a cornhole board in my home office just for a break from time to time. I, I've been preoccupied with the stock market news. I, I'm ready to a return for normal, whatever that normal may look like. What I'm trying to say to you is this, though. The Word of God is very helpful during these crazy times for me. And like you, I'm trying to focus more on the Word of God than I am on the latest coronavirus news. Now, one of the reasons that I can rejoice is because of all the blessings God has given me. He's blessed me with a wonderful family. I'm blessed with you, the family of faith here at First Baptist Church. I'm blessed with other pastors and friends who are serving their churches through this season as well. And I'm blessed because God loves me and he has a great purpose for my life. Uh, when the significance of the coronavirus became apparent, Pam, my wife, said something to me uh, that really got my attention, very important. She said, I had preached my first sermon online, and I was preparing to, uh, uh, for the message for the next sermon online. And she said, Bob, please don't spend all your time talking about the virus. Wise words for sure. Soon after that, God laid on my heart the theme for this message series, This is Hope. 
we need to spend more time and energy thinking about the hope we have in Jesus Christ than thinking about the virus we might get. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate Easter online, and the theme for Easter is, This is Love. I'll be teaching on a love that brings forgiveness. Scott is going to teach on a love the next week that conquers death. And then after that, Michael will be uh, focusing on a love that makes all things new. So leading up to Easter, our theme is This is Hope. Last week, we looked at Gideon, who found hope in the middle of a battle. Next week, we're going to look at Nehemiah, who finds hope while he's rebuilding, a season of rebuilding, just like we will be eventually. And then today, I want us to talk about a story found in the Old Testament book of Esther. Uh, Now, many would remember Esther becoming queen, but uh, not as many would perhaps remember the name of her cousin, who orchestrated much of this story and provided direction and encouragement for Esther. He revealed a a plot to murder the king. He revealed a plot to murder the Jews. And and some of you will remember his name. His name was Mordecai. And so today we want to look at finding hope in the midst of adversity and opposition. Mordecai was right in the middle of adversity. His people were living in exile. There was no temple to go to to worship God. His cousin Esther was thrust deep into a culture unlike her own, a culture she did not know, a culture that did not know God, and she was cut off from personal contact with Mordecai. Both of them were trying to be faithful to God. Hope was hard to find. But Mordecai and Esther model a life of hope in the middle of opposition and adversity. Now think of the parallels between Mordecai and us today. He was living separated from his homeland. We are living separated from people we love. He was exiled from Israel so he could not go to the temple. We've been asked not to congregate in groups larger than 10 so we can't assemble together in the sanctuary at First Baptist Church. Mordecai faced opposition that wanted to kill him and we face a virus that has the ability to kill us. Mordecai and Esther were living in a foreign culture that was not normal for them and we're living in the midst of a crisis that is not normal for us. Mordecai and Esther had to learn how to communicate when she was in the palace and he was outside the palace and not on the palace visitation list. And we are living in a world where we can't even visit family that we would normally visit. Now, Pastor Scott and Catherine know how this feel. They traveled to North Carolina to be with family because of a funeral, death in the family. But the, the, the size of those who could gather was limited, so they couldn't attend the funeral. We have over 30 deacons, so we held our last deacons meeting uh, this past Tuesday night on a video conference call. I read about a young woman who got engaged, and she went to show her grandfather the ring, and I I saw a picture of her standing outside with her cell phone talking to her granddad, holding up her her finger with the ring on it so he could see uh, through the window inside. I saw a group of wedding photos where one of them, bride and groom, were wearing a a mask. When a friend today ends up in a hospital, you and I must settle for a phone call. Aging parents in a nursing home can't be visited in person. 
A pastor friend of mine is praising God because his wife just went through surgery for cancer. A test revealed that she would not need chemo and radiation. Now, that was good news on two fronts. One, it's always good not to have to do chemo and radiation. But if she had needed either one of those today, she might not have been able to receive it uh, due to the situation that we're in. COVID-19 is the enemy. Sheltering at home keeps us apart from the sanctuary. Social distancing separates us from people that we love. But God is sovereign. He's working for his glory and for our best. And this story of Mordecai helps me find hope in these days. Mordecai and Esther show us that we can find hope in our acts of compassion. We can find hope in wise thinking. We can find hope in our network of family and friends and colleagues. And we can find hope, most importantly, in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. I want to tell you the story of Mordecai and Esther. And then as we close out, I want to show you how you can find hope today through their story. The story begins with a king named Ahasuerus and his queen named Vashti. Your Bible may have a, a different name for the king. It starts with an X, X and it's spelled X-E-R-X-E-S. The pronunciation is Xerxes. Xerxes is actually his Persian name and Ahasuerus is his name in Hebrew. It's the same person. I like to give him a nickname, King Hazard, because it seems like life around him was full of hazards. King Hazard decides to throw a party to show off all of his wealth, and this shindig lasts 100 days, 180 days, followed by a week-long feast. Everyone from the least to the greatest gets invited and gets to spend some time there feasting. And the, the Bible describes all the latest fashion designs in the palace. And Queen Vashti throws a party for the women while the king is throwing a party for the men. Now, do you remember the book of Genesis after the fall into sin of Adam and Eve? God said that when they sinned, one of the consequences would be a conflict between husbands and wives. Uh, the Bible pretty much describes a scenario where husbands would uh, try to rule over their wife for their own best selfish interest and that wives would push against the leadership of their husband and try to control the situation themselves. Well, that same thing is going on in the palace here. King Hazard offers his wife, uh, invites his wife to come to the party. Now, he, he doesn't want to do that to honor his queen, his wife. He wants to do it to show off her beauty. He wants all the men to see how wonderful his wife looks. And the queen says, no way. And the king got mad. Wise men were called in uh, to give the king advice. And, and these wise men said, listen, king, you've got to do something about this. If the queen disrespects you by not coming to your party... Word is going to get out, and all the other women are going to hear how she got away with disrespecting her husband, the king. And so they will all disrespect their husbands as well. So you must do something about it. When Queen Vashti refuses to come to the party, the king banishes her from the, uh, from the palace, and she is no longer the queen. Now, chapter 2 of the book of Esther finds the king's anger cooling down, but he misses his queen. 
So his personal attendant says, King, why don't we put together a search and find a, a replacement, a beautiful young woman in your kingdom to be the next queen? And, and the king agrees. And so they gather all the beautiful women in the kingdom. Uh, they bring them into the palace. And they give them the best spa treatment you can imagine, the best cosmetics, uh, the best perfumes. Special diets were prescribed and administered to these young women. And they were given anything that they wanted that they thought would help them attract the king. And so one by one, they go in to the king. Now, this is where Mordecai comes into the story. Mordecai was a Jewish man who had been banished from Israel, and he's living in exile in the king's kingdom. Mordecai's uncle had died, and Mordecai adopts his uncle's daughter, which is his cousin, and raised her like his own daughter. Her name was Esther. This is the name of the Old Testament book of the Bible that tells her story. Mordecai takes Esther to the palace to see if the king will pick her. Mordecai tells her to keep her Jewish heritage a secret at this time. It wouldn't be smart to let him know that. He goes to the palace daily to check on her to see how things are going. And Esther wins the king's approval. and She becomes the new queen. Now, meanwhile, two of the king's guards get mad at the king and they plot to assassinate him. Mordecai founds out about this plot. He reports it to Esther. She reports it to the king. It is verified under an investigation. The guards are arrested and they are hung on a set of gallows. Now after this, another one of the king's men is promoted to the highest position under the king. Uh, his name is Haman. And everyone is to bow down to Haman and pay homage to him. But Mordecai, a God-fearing Jewish person, refuses to bow down. The entire royal staff tries to talk him into bowing down to Haman so that they can keep the peace. They also learn that he is Jewish, and he refuses, and they tell Haman. So Haman is furious. And when he finds out that Mordecai is Jewish, he decides not only to do away with Mordecai, but he's going to wipe out the entire Jewish race in the kingdom. He tells the king, there is one group of people. They're different from us. They have a different culture than us. They have uh, different laws than we do. And they're not obeying the laws of the king. And they ought to be annihilated. Haman says, King, I'm happy to do this, and I'll even put money in the treasury to make it happen. And the king agrees. He hands down an edict, and he seals the deal with his signet ring. Well, Mordecai finds out about this plot as well, and he begins to mourn and cry and fast. He puts on sackcloth, which is a, a mourning garment, and the sackcloth is offensive to the king's culture, so much so that if you're wearing sackcloth, you're not allowed to enter the king's gates. Now, Esther learns that her cousin, Mordecai, is wearing this sackcloth. She doesn't want him to be offensive to the king or the culture. So she has one of her attendants send Mordecai some nice clothing from the palace. But Mordecai refuses to do that. He's in a period of mourning and crying and fasting and praying out to God for help. And then he tells the queen, he says, Esther, there's a plot. And the plot is to kill every Jewish person in the kingdom. 
and you need to go to the king and tell him all about it. And Esther says, Mordecai, now he, they're doing this through emissaries because they can't meet personally. And so Esther replies back to Mordecai, you realize that there's a rule that no one goes to the king unless the king invites them. And right now, I haven't been invited. I'll have to wait till he invites me before I can share this news with him. Well, Mordecai responds, it's time right now. And Esther, don't think that just because you're the queen that your life or your family's life will be saved. And Esther, think about this. Perhaps in God's sovereignty, you were put in the palace for such a time as this. So Esther, listening to the advice of her cousin Mordecai, she takes the risk. And the king actually does welcome her into his presence. She doesn't tell the king about the plot yet. She simply asks the king if he and Haman can come to a banquet tomorrow that she will prepare for them. Now, Haman is standing there, and he's grinning like a cat who ate the canary. He is writing his acceptance speech for his next promotion. He tells all of his friends how he's been appointed the top dog, and now the queen is inviting him to the private dinner with the king. But then he says, but my anger to that guy, that Jewish guy, Mordecai, is hotter than ever, and he still refuses to bow down to me, and I'm going to get him. Well, that night, the king goes to bed, and he can't sleep. And so he gets up, and he decides to catch up on all of his daily reports that he hadn't read for the last few days uh, to see what's going on in the kingdom. And he reads the story of this man named Mordecai re unveiling a plot to kill the king and reporting it to the king so that those two men could be captured and killed. And uh, the next morning, he asked his attendants, he said, has anything been done to uh, honor this man? And they, they said, no, nothing's been done to honor him. About that time, Haman shows up at the palace, and he's ready to ask king for permission to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he has built outside. Uh, but before he could ask king for permission to kill Mordecai, uh, the king says, hey, Haman, got a question for you guy listen there is this man who's done something incredible for me and I want to honor him so what would you do to honor a man for the king and Haman is thinking wow man the king is really going to honor me and so he rattles off this list of things that ought to be done king you ought to go get a garment that you've worn a royal robe uh, you ought to get a horse that you've ridden a, a royal horse you ought to get a diadem a crown and, and then get some attendants to take all of those things to this man and and dress him up put him on that horse and parade him through the city proclaiming how great this man is because of his service to the king and the king says, Haman, that is a great idea. You go get all the preparations uh, done. Now, meanwhile, Esther is preparing that banquet for king uh, and, the, and Haman. And so then they come and, and they show up. And the king is pleased. And he says to Esther, Esther, ask me for anything you want and I'll do it. And Esther tells the king, well, king, my people have been sold to destruction uh, there is a plot 
to kill all of us. If we had just been sold into slavery, I wouldn't bother you with such a small item, but we've been sold into our very death. And so I ask you, king, to help us out. And the king says, who in the world is responsible for this plot? And Esther points to Haman and said, that evil man right there is responsible well, the king leaves in anger, and Haman bows down to Esther, and he's crying, and he's begging her for mercy. Please save us. Please save us. And, and now as he's bowing down, he, he kind of trips, stumbles, and he falls right onto the couch, prostate, where Esther is sitting. And the king comes back in the room and, and sees Haman laid out there on the couch in front of Esther, and he says, Are you going to violate the queen while I'm still here in my palace? Guards capture Haman, and Haman is actually hung on the gallows that he had made for Mordecai. Well, the Jewish people are saved. Esther is saved. Mordecai is saved. And Esther is given the entire state of Haman. Esther puts Mordecai in charge of the state. And then Esther asks the king for one more thing. She says, would you please issue an edict? that revokes the edict against the Jewish people. And the king answers, not only will I do that, but you can write it exactly like you want it written, and I will sign it and seal it with my signet ring. So the edict, the edict that uh, Mordecai and Esther come up with is not only are the Jewish people saved, but they are allowed to assemble, and they're allowed to attack all those who are going to try to annihilate them, and they're allowed to uh, take in all the spoils from this battle. Well, the story is amazing. It has enough twist in it to be a plot in a great movie even today. But more important than that, it teaches us several lessons, and I want to close with these lessons today. First of all, a life of compassion leads to hope. Finding, a, finding hope in a heart of compassion. In Esther chapter 2, verse 7, God's word says, When Esther's father and her mother died, Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. Mordecai was a man of compassion. He showed compassion for his uncle and, and aunt as he took in their daughter. He showed compassion for uh, Esther as he raised her as his own daughter. When she had an opportunity to be picked by the king, he went and gave her good advice. He visited her every day, sending messages to her, finding out how she was doing. He had a heart of compassion, and that heart led him to have hope. Not only that, second, a life of wise thinking leads to hope. In Esther chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So in other words, Mordecai gave Esther wise instructions. First of all, Esther, don't, don't reveal that you're Jewish. That won't be a smart thing to do right now. And Esther, let's think through how you can take advantage of these perfumes, these spa, spa treatments. Let's think through what other things you must ask for that they'll give you to take into the king. How can you be very attractive to the king in this time? Uh, he 
he does all those wise things for Esther and his people. The third thing we see is that a life of networks and relationship lead to hope as well. In Esther chapter 2, verse 22, God's word says, And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. That's referring to the plot to kill the king. And then in Esther chapter 4, verse 7, it says, And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai learned not only of the plot to kill the king and revealed that, he learned of the plot to kill all the Jewish people, and he revealed that to Esther as well. How did he learn all of these things? Because he was connected to people. He had a network of friends and colleagues. He communicated with them. God created us to connect with each other. And in this season of social distancing, we still need to find ways, just like Mordecai did, to get messages to Esther. We need to find ways to connect good with those people uh, in our circle of influence. And then finally, a life of faith leads to hope as well. In Esther chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. And then in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, it said, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Well, Mordecai does the right thing. He is a God-fearing Jew. He knows that the Lord, our God, is one God, and we are to worship him and him alone. So he refuses to bow down to Haman. And Mordecai speaks the truth. He tells Esther that ignoring the situation will not protect her. He tells her that God has a place for her in this situation for his purpose. Mordecai believes in God. And he knows that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. And he said, Esther, if you don't step forward, God's still going to make do good on his promise to protect the Jewish people. But, but those of us in exile, we won't be spared. But Esther, if you will step forward with the truth, I will trust God that he will provide. And God certainly did in this story. Well, I know many of us today, are wondering how we find hope in the midst of COVID-19. I think we can find hope in our acts of compassion as we step out and serve and love on and reach out to others who need our help. I think we'll also find hope when we do it with wisdom. And we need to practice, you know, good, responsible practices, washing our hands with soap and water, keeping our distance during this time of social distancing, learning about ways to help people. We need to be wise as well as compassionate. I think we can also find hope 
as we connect with our network of family and friends and colleagues and church family and join together in appropriate ways of serving our community and sharing the gospel around the world. But most importantly, you and I will find hope in none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, let me tell you how you can find that hope. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wage of that sin is death. The Bible also tells us that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into this world so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So if today you will confess your sin and believe that God sent Jesus to die for your sin, to pay the penalty for that sin, and put your faith and trust in him and him alone, God will save you in that instant. And then he wants to save you to share that gospel with others. Every one of us have a next step. Those of you who are watching today, even myself, as I preach this message, every one of us have a next step. That next step may be to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The next step may be a commitment to be baptized or to join our church. That next step may be uh, to make a commitment to reach out and serve the Lord even in these uncertain times. Below the screen, you'll find that connect card button. If you'll click on that button, fill it out, and check what your next step is, our staff uh, will be glad to get in touch with you and help you navigate what that next step is. I want you to know that uh, here at First Baptist Church, we love you, and we want, you, we want to help you find a faith that gives you hope. Will you let us do that with you? And one more time, let me say how much I miss you, and I can't wait until we can get back and worship together in person. I pray you have a great week. Thank you.